As we said last week in our introduction, eschatology is a, is a big study. And uh, some people are very interested in it. Some people are not interested in it. And uh, there are many things about it we cannot know for certain, simply because it's future tense and it's off in the distance. And because of that, we're not going to argue or split hairs over it. And just if you want to know, probably the best book I have found so far, and I'm currently reading it, is Tim LaHaye's book, Revelation Unveiled. If you're interested in this on your own, he just covers Revelation. It is by far the best book out of the dozen or so I'm, I'm working through that I have found and discovered. But even uh, Reverend Tim LaHaye, I was reading this uh, two days ago. He said, uh, I was reading about the 24 elders, and we're not going to be able to cover that in this series of teachings because Revelation by itself is a big study. He, and he, he, in his book, he presents the three major theological views of what the 24 elders are. Do they represent something or are they something? But he said, after he did this, these three points, he said, and even at the time of this commentary, the writing of this commentary, he said, I believe this way, but I'm changing my doctrine. And I thought, you're Tim LaHaye. You're one of the greatest American experts on this, and you're changing your doctrine just by studying this out further to write it. So then he goes on to give his viewpoint. So I say that to say there's a lot of stuff we don't know for sure. Like we demonstrated last week, how could they have predicted or, or, or been able to say, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to come like this? And that's the whole reason they missed him. They were expecting one thing based on the scriptures, but Jesus Christ came another way based on the exact same scriptures. And so this is we're going to study what we can study and show you things that we know for sure. And uh, these things that we don't know for sure, we'll say, well, this is what we think, but nobody knows for sure. But let's jump into this. This is probably our most meaty lesson because it covers so much. This is called uh, Dispensations and Daniel's 70s, 70 Weeks, and uh, the, that's the hub of Bible prophecy. Eschatology begins with an understanding of dispensationalism. Without this understanding, you will not be able to properly put together a timeline of end-time events. Uh, now understand, dispensationalism is not so much a doctrine as it is a way of seeing how time and man is broken down through the scriptures. You won't find any verses that say the word dispensationalism. You'll find lots of words of dispensation. Paul said there was committed unto him a dispensation of the gospel. That just means a season of time. But dispensationalism or dispensations are, are what theologians look at the scriptures and they see seven unique periods of time that God deals with mankind in differently. And we don't have time to go too deep into it. There is a whole lesson we've written just on dispensations. And if you take how to study the Bible, you cover that for one whole lesson. Dispensationalism is the system of historical progression as revealed in the Bible, consisting of a system of stages or dispensations in God's self-revelation and plan of salvation. Now, that's a big fancy definition. You'll see it play out before you when we get to the seven dispensations. The Bible can be broken down into seven dispensations of time. We are currently in the fifth, actually the sixth. We're about to revert back to the fifth during the rapture. And then the seventh comes to play, which is the millennial kingdom. These breakdowns are based on God revealing himself to man and how he's interacting with man. God never changes, but how he has dealt with man has changed. That's the big thing about dispensations. God does not change, but how he deals with mankind from one revelation of himself to the next differs. Uh, now that we have Jesus Christ, how God deals with man is different than how he dealt with man under the law. You understand that? Does that make sense to you? Under the law, he dealt with mankind through Moses and the, the law. But now that Jesus Christ has come, the Lord is not dealing with mankind through Moses and the law. He's dealing with mankind through Jesus Christ. Before the law came, 
uh, he did not deal with mankind according to the law. He dealt with them according to promise, the promise of Abraham. And before that, really, people just wandered. You ever see, you can, it's an interesting thing. You go and you study Genesis all the way to Exodus. You will never find a sacrifice for sin until you get to the Exodus. The reason is sin had not been taught yet. Paul said, without the law, there is no knowledge of sin. Without the law, there is no sacrifice for sin. So you can study the entire book of Genesis. You will not find a single sacrifice for sin. Because you cannot know sin without the law. For the law says, Paul said, I did not know covetousness, except the law said, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's uh, wife. Uh, So what we see then is that there was sin before the law, but God dealt with the people differently. Even when uh, Abimelech took Sarah, Abraham's wife, and was going to sleep with her, and God appeared to him and said, you're a dead man. And Abimelech could argue with God and say, you know I did this in the innocency of my hands. Will you destroy the innocent blood? And, and the Lord said, I know you did this, which is why I haven't killed you yet. <laughs> but this man is a prophet. Get him to pray for you and you'll be saved. And then Genesis 20 uh, verse 12 comes along. It says, and, and Abraham prayed for Abimelech and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants bare children. So it didn't just affect Abimelech. It struck his whole kingdom, his wife and all of his servants. They were struck sick over the sin, but they didn't ever sacrifice for sin. Because there was no law yet. So this is just kind of examples of dispensationalism, which is why, honestly, David could have lots of wives and the Lord never deal with him about it because you can't find a Mosaic law that says uh, monogamy. You can't find a Mosaic law that says only one wife. Under the New Testament, you get one wife. (laughs) Under the New Testament, you get one wife. Because the Lord hadn't revealed that progressively yet. Now, he did in Genesis, and we understand one Adam, one Eve, not a harem or a bevy of beauties. And so that's just kind of the heart of it. We don't have time to get too deep into this, but I want to show you dispensations. For some of you, you've taken how to study the Bible, and I just want to refresh your memory, because when we deal with eschatology, there's only three dispensations you deal with. Jewish time, or or the dispensation of the law, the church age, and the millennial reign. So let's go through these real quick. The seven dispensations. Innocence is the first one. And once again, you will not find any Bible verse that spells these seven out. Theologians have studied these to work this thing out. And honestly, this kind of teaching of, of uh, dispensationalism is just a little over 100 years old. It's about 150 years old is when a theologian in the 1800s kind of worked this thing out and has been widely accepted and it has really revolutionized our ability to understand the scriptures and even end time events. In a sense, this is from the creation to the fall of man. We don't know how long this period lasted. Might have been a day, might have been a thousand years, might have been a billion years. We have no idea. I think it was not very long because they hadn't had kids yet. And if you know mankind, they're running around naked. They're going to start doing something that makes kids. It might have just been a few weeks. (laughs) That's just my personal belief. Because their two sons hadn't been born yet. And we know they didn't have any children in the garden. Because if they had had children in the garden then we would have had a whole two different lineages. We'd have had fallen people and preserved people. So I'm thinking this was just maybe a few weeks before it all fell apart. Because as soon as they see that they're naked and they have an idea about how this is going to work, they're going to start making kids. Plus the devil doesn't wait to come tempt you. He's not going to wait a billion years. He ain't going to wait a day. He's going to start coming as soon as the word comes. Conscience. 
Uh, you got your dates there where you can look at it in the scriptures. 1656 years. We know that based on the genealogies of the people. From the fall of man to the flood. So that's the dispensation when they had a conscious of, of their sin, of their need for God, that they were naked without him. That lasted until the flood. Man became aware of his nakedness and his sinfulness. Then you have human government, 429 years from the flood to Abraham. As the earth repopulates, cities and communities develop along with governments and societies. So you see the explosion of populations. Then there's a dispensation of promise. That's 430 years from Abraham to the giving of the law. God appears to Abram and Ur of the Chaldees. And he says, if you'll walk with me, I'll make you a great nation. And all the peoples of the world shall be blessed, both the sand and the stars. The sand refers to natural seed. The stars represent supernatural seed. You know, the Jews are the descendants of Abraham, but they're natural. But we are born again descendants of Abraham. We're the stars. God promised them both. Your your descendants will be as numbered as the sand of the sea and the stars of the heavens. So two different classes of people coming out of Abraham. Natural, the nation of Israel, and supernatural, those that call on Jesus Christ. Then you have uh, um, the law. This is one we're also very familiar with. 1,524 years. This is from the giving of the law until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Also known as the time of Israel, this is a time where God is dealing with mankind through his chosen people, Israel, and through the law of Moses. This dispensation has had a predetermined length of time, and it was actually prophesied when it would end, and that's part of Daniel's 70 weeks. So the, the dispensation of the law, that started on the mountain when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and made a covenant with Israel. That began the dispensation of the law. And from that point forward, if you were going to walk with God, you had to come through Moses and the law. That's why you had all these proselyte Jews and you had Ethiopian Jews. You had every nation under heaven gathered in Israel at the day of Pentecost because God was moving through Israel up until that time. Lasted 1,524 years, which I would point out to you, we've already surpassed that in the church age by 500 years. So already the church age, the next dispensation, is the longest there has ever been. And that is a testimony of God's mercy and long-suffering on mankind. He's not willing that any should perish. But this dispensation of grace keeps lasting and lasting because God wants the whole world to hear about his son Jesus. And that becomes our job. In fact, even the Revelation says that there John saw a multitude of every tongue and kindred and nation under the planet. Which proves that somebody from every race and language is going to be born again. may just be one or two pygmies speaking pig Latin or something in heaven. But every nation kindred, kind, and tongue will hear the gospel before this is all said and done. John saw every nation represented, which is awesome. He's not going to leave anybody out. So that brings us to the sixth one, which is the church age or the age of grace. This is currently Acts 1 through the current day. And, so, you know, we're not going to split here. Some say it, uh, it started when Jesus died. Some say it started when Jesus was raised from the dead. Others say it started on the day of Pentecost. I would say the church was born on the day of Pentecost, but you can make an argument for it. In John 20, 21, when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost, we can make an argument that that's when they got born again. And that's when the church started. Because, you know, you can be born again and not have the day of Pentecost experience in your life. You can be part of the church and not be spirit-filled, tongue-talking. We understand that. So we're not going to split hairs there, whether it's John 20, 21, or Acts 2, 1. Hey, he was raised from the dead. The church started. We're not going to split hairs over maybe two or three weeks, okay? So uh, from the resurrection until the rapture, thank God. That's the church age. We are currently in the church age, commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel of salvation to every creature. Under this dispensation, God deals with mankind through his chosen people, the church. And I would point out that God always has a chosen people. 
He's always going to be working through somebody. And our heart just has to say, Lord, let it be me. Let me be that chosen person. God deals with mankind through his chosen people, the church, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is not dealing with Moses and the law. We have a new law, the perfect law of liberty. He's not dealing with the blood of bulls and goats and turtle doves anymore. He's dealing with the blood of the lamb. And so now we see this thing has changed over to the church age. That's what we're currently in. That's what we're quickly wrapping up. Uh, If you could see the sands of the hourglass, we're right there at the little bit, and it's getting faster and faster and faster and faster, and uh, there's not much left, except I believe the only thing left before Jesus comes back is for us to hit every nation, kindred, and tongue. Even the the condition of hell on the earth, that doesn't have to get any worse for Jesus to come back. We just, I, I believe my conviction, we just have to hit the last remaining people that have never heard the gospel. Uh, The Bible is currently translated in 2,500 different languages, and there's approximately 4,500 in the earth. So we still have 2,000 left to go to get the Bible into every language. And they're conquering. Why Bible translators are wearing that thing out? They've been doing that for over 150 years, translating the Bible into different languages. Uh, Now we've got uh, phone apps on our iPhone. It's pretty cool where you can just speak, and it'll translate it into any language and say it back for you. And so this thing's wrapping up pretty quick here. And let me also remind you that this teaching on eschatology should be a hope-filled one. Uh, we, we don't end persecuted with our heads cut off. We are the church. Now, whether you believe we're the bride or we're just the body, I don't care. We're not going to heaven with our heads cut off. That's for the, that's for the tribulation. The Bible says in Thessalonians, we are not appointed unto wrath. That's going to happen for all those God mockers and God haters and antichrist perverts that try to run us right now. We're out of here when this thing's all said and done. And so this thing ought to build hope in us. And it also, as we teach us, it ought to compel us to go tell even more people about Jesus. And God will be with us. Our seventh dispensation, uh, millennial kingdom or the reign of Christ. This is what the Jews were looking for when Jesus came. And he said he would come and do this, but they just didn't understand. I've got something else to do between now and then. That's why the disciples were always asking, will you at this time return the kingdom to Israel? Because they were expecting that millennial kingdom. They were expecting Jesus to come and establish his throne with a rod of iron and rule all nations from Jerusalem. And he is. He just wasn't going to do it right then. He had something else bigger to do. And that's what's going to happen after the rapture. That's what's going to happen after the seven years of tribulation. He's going to come back and establish his earthly kingdom. And we will reign with him based upon how well we served him here. So that's kind of the neat thing about being in the church right now. Your ability to serve now will dictate your ability to reign then. Your ability to be faithful over responsibilities now will determine what kind of responsibilities he can trust you with in the millennial reign. And uh, as many, many eschatological experts have pointed out, we'll be surprised who runs nations in the millennial. They might just be an old grandma who spent the last 50 years of her life a widow and just in prayers and fastings and praying for the local pastor and baking cookies and knitting Afghans for the folks older than her. She might end up running Pakistan or something in the millennial kingdom and some great TBN preacher may push a hot dog stand. (laughs) Would to God it would be so because they are a bunch of (laughs) ding-dongs. So let's jump into the meatiest part. Sweet, I've saved myself 30 minutes for this. Daniel's 70th week. This you're going to have to put your thinking cap on to comprehend it. This is what all these theologians call the hub of Bible prophecy. You've got to get a hold of this. This is so critical. And once you can understand Daniel's 70 weeks, the rest of the Bible really unfolds beautifully for you. All Bible prophecy revolves around uh, the Jewish people and Jerusalem. 
Keep that in mind. All Bible prophecy revolves around them. Jesus was sent to who? The, the Jews, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus Christ said so. So all the, the promise of the Messiah was not made to the Gentiles. The promise of the Messiah was made to Israel. All right. And all those promises concern the nation of Israel. What I want you to see as we kind of walk through this, you're going to see that honestly, we're called the Gentile age or the age of the Gentiles, the time of the Gentiles, the church age, as glorious as we are, we're just kind of a blip on the radar because the promise was made to Abraham and of his seed became the Jews and the promises pertain unto them. Now, we're in the church age, and it's an awesome thing, and I thank God for it, but when you even get into the Revelation, after chapter 4, everything's in Jewish lingo. It's all Jewish typology for their Messiah. And it just shows you the Bible starts with Israel, and it's going to end with Israel. But we are the church age, and we have the mystery, the hope in us of Christ. They didn't know who the Messiah, they don't know what his name was going to be. It was Jesus. The ironic thing about Jesus is that was the most common name in Israel. Jesus in Hebrew is Joshua. That's why you even read through Hebrews and it talks about Jesus. There was a, a Jesus led a power to day of rest, talking about Joshua uh, in, in the book of Joshua. So that's why they had to call him Jesus of Nazareth, because Jesus of Galilee, no. Jesus of Arimathea, no. Jesus of, Ga- of Nazareth. Jesus was a very common name. It just means Savior. But because of what the Jesus did, he was given the name above every name. And now nobody names their kid Jesus except for the Latinos. And that's Jesus. I don't get that. As Catholic as they are, you think they might have a little bit more reference, uh, reverence, but maybe they do. Maybe it's like the Muslims naming their kids Muhammad. When us white kids, we can't name anybody Muhammad. They take jihad out on us. <laughs> that woman in, uh, in North Africa, she named her teddy bear. She was a white woman. She named her teddy bear Muhammad. The kids picked the name. They were ready to cut that woman's head off because she was a Westerner naming the teddy bear Muhammad. But the Muslim kids she was teaching said, can we name our bear Muhammad? Yeah. And then all the pagans wanted to cut her head off and spit down her throat. She was trying to help your country come out of paganism and actually learn to read and write, Muhammad. So I don't know. The name of Jesus was common. So they, the Jews don't recognize it as Jesus. They're looking for the Messiah, the Christ. And so all the Bible prophecies begin with Israel and they're going to conclude with Israel. In a sense, we were a blip on the radar they didn't even see coming. Not, in fact, our next lesson is called the mystery of the church. A lot of theologians also call the church age the age of mystery. Because the Bible says the Old Testament prophets, they, they couldn't even figure out what they were prophesying about. They couldn't figure out what, what dispensation, the spirit that with, was with them uh, prophesied, what it signified. And so this great thing called the church that has lasted longer than any dispensation, nobody in the old covenant saw coming. And Jesus only referenced it a few times. He said, I have another sheep which you know not of. I have another fold you don't know of. Oh, where? The rest of the world. And so it's an awesome thing. But all Bible prophecy, we might say 99% of all Bible prophecy revolves around the Jewish people in Jerusalem to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Paul said that in Romans 9, a New Testament epistle, to whom pertaineth all of that. We are part of the Gentile age and have merely been inserted into this timeline, having obtained salvation through Jesus Christ because the Jews rejected him. Most Bible prophecy scholars call Daniel's 70 weeks the hub of Bible prophecy. Understanding Daniel's 70 weeks is important to understanding Bible chronology and to properly interpret many other scriptures. 
For this reason, we must study it very thoroughly. You'll understand that as we go through this. Some of you, 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 are, you enjoy Bible prophecy. This is elementary to you. Others of you haven't got a clue what we're even talking about yet. So just bear with us. We'll walk this thing out. Daniel is probably the most prolific minor prophet as far as end times prophecy. Most of what Daniel is about is about the end times. And all Daniel was asking for is how much longer till we're out of captivity? How much longer? How much longer? And he gets to poking around in the spirit realm, asking God questions. And God shows up, actually Gabriel does, and tells him how it's all going to unfold for his people. Another cool thing to point out, just, just to throw out there, under the Old Testament, angels taught people. Under the New Testament, they're not permitted to. Under the Old Testament, time and time again, you see angels showing up and teaching the prophets what things are. In the Revelation, after chapter 4, John the Revelator is taught by an angel. That doesn't happen in the church age. Because we have the Holy Ghost and the angels desire to look into what we have. So we're in a very unique thing. That has never been done. Jesus lives within us. That's why Paul said, though we or another or an angel come and preach any other gospel unto you, let them be accursed. In this dispensation, mankind preaches because God deals with mankind directly. Angels don't know salvation. How can they preach the gospel? But they desire to look into it. And many theologians, and we'll look into this later, in the the revelation, the tribulation, angels start preaching. Because they've been studying the gospel for 2,000 years. And they're going to help bring in the harvest. So that's a unique thing. And so that's the cool thing about walking with God. No matter what dispensation you're in, it's unique. And you get to know an aspect of God nobody else gets to know unless they're in your dispensation. So angels show up and start teaching Daniel all this stuff and start showing him. And he has visions and he says, what does it mean? And the angel says, you don't know what this means? No. And the angel says, well, this is what this means. This happens again and again and again. And even in Zechariah, the angel starts showing uh, Zechariah stuff. And, the angel, and Zechariah says, what's it mean? He says, you don't know? And the angel doesn't answer him. And he goes on to tell him some stuff about Zerubbabel. And he says, and the, and the, and the prophet has to say, angel, come on, guy. What does this mean? You don't know? No. It means this. The Holy Ghost didn't tell the prophets. The angels taught them things. Now, sometimes the Holy Ghost signified things. But so many times it was the angels teaching them. Because they had insight to this stuff. But the church age was a mystery even from the angels. So how could they possibly teach us? That's why uh, Mormonism is a false pagan religion. Because an angel taught Joseph Smith about the church. The Kansas City prophets and that nut job that was down in Florida with the Lakeland Revival. He had angels teaching him. The angel Emma, which is actually a Buddhist spirit. Emma appeared to Joseph Smith. It appeared to some Pentecostals in the Lakeland Revival and the Kansas City prophets that are making young girls get undressed to prophesy over them before the Lord. They're, they're dealing with familiar spirits. The angel Emma. They're no female angels. And they're not, if they were, they're not going to teach you the gospel. So it shows our, our lack of understanding. If that ding-a-ling down in Lakeland, Florida would know his Bible, he'd know whatever spirit's going to try to teach him about the move of God is not of God. Same with William Branham. He got off listening to angels way too much. Angels do not teach us in this dispensation. Hebrews says they serve us. They are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who are heirs of salvation. I'm an heir of salvation. Therefore, in the Greek it says, angels are my servant. That's what Hebrews says. They don't teach us. They protect us. They minister to us like they minister to Jesus and strengthen him in the garden. 
Psalm says that they obey the word of God. They, there's no doubt they, they bring us things. So we don't want to get off on angels. <laughs> Daniel 9, 24. This is, the, this is the hub of all Bible prophecy. These, these two verses. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. This is where we get the term Daniel's 70 weeks. Now the word 70 weeks there, weeks is the Hebrew word Shabuah, and it doesn't literally mean weeks like seven days, it means seven, excuse me, seven periods. It can be days, it can be weeks, it can be a period of months, and we understand it because of the Bible interpreting itself through other scriptures, that it's not accurately interpreted weeks, but more years. Seventy periods of seven years. Seventy periods of seven can be days or years. Here it is seventy periods of seven years or 490 years. Okay? 490 years. 490 years. Now there has to do with that's ten years of Jubilee. We won't go down the road of the year of Jubilee and its implication here because we're already going to get a little too deep to have to sit there. And I, I was really thinking about coming up with slideshows to show up here. So it's, just bear with us here. These 70 periods of seven years or 490 years, he's telling Daniel, this is how much time your people have left. It, within 400, at 490 years, I will be done completely with the Jewish people. It will all be wrapped up. Remember, the, the things that are going to be determined are finish the transgression, make an end of sin. So after 490 years, there'll be no more sin. Of course, this was given in 600 BC. So wait a minute, we're way, we're way past that. <laughs> Angel, <laughs> is your name Emma? Because <laughs> you're goofy here. Uh, make an innocence, make rec reconciliation of iniquity. So in 490 years, all this stuff will be accomplished. To bring in everlasting righteousness, we don't have that. To seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. In the Hebrew, that means the holy of holies, not, not a person, but the holy of holies. Uh, the King James just, they kind of put their spin on it. It is not the most holy one. He's always anointed. But the word is in reference to the holy place, the holy of holies, the rebuilding of the temple. So, Here's a couple points here on this verse. 70 weeks. So 70 times 7 years, 490 years. Determine, this is what it tells us. It's determined upon Jerusalem and the Jews, thy people and thy holy city. So this prophecy revolves around the Jews and Jerusalem. We know that when Jesus comes back, his headquarters will be Jerusalem. It always has been. It always will be. And it's why the whole world fights for a little piece of land smaller than New Jersey. Why does every major world power tiptoe around a piece of land surrounded by nothing smaller than New Jersey? Because God said, that's my city and I'm coming back there. All prophecy revolves around the seed of Abraham, the Israelites and the promised land. So this is the hub of that prophecy and it pinpoints the hub of this prophecy. The hub of Bible prophecy puts a, a stake, a nail, a pin in Jerusalem and around the Jews. Don't you remember Jesus told the Syrophoenician woman, I'm not sent to you, you're a dog. Yep, but even dogs get crumbs. That is great faith. Thy daughter is healed. That's how the thing works. 
It's always the Jews first because he has to keep his promise to a man named Abraham. That's how much of a promise keeper Jesus Christ is. I wish we could get a hold of that and keep our word a little bit better. All everything he ever said after Abraham had to come back to Abraham because God can't break his word for nobody. And so we have to be mindful of that. God revealed he would accomplish several things in this time frame of 490 years. Stop rebellion, make an end to sins, atone for the sins, bring in everlasting righteousness, confirm the vision that was being revealed, reconsecrate the Holy of Holies. Note, these things were shown to Daniel as he sought God about the end of Israel's captivity, uh, of Israel's captivity punishment. And we could say captivity hyphen punishment. He was seeking God. When is this going to end? When is this going to end? And the Lord just starts showing him everything that's going to come to pass, which is an encouraging side note for prayer. You never know what God's going to show you when you start praying. Lord, heal my little girl. Heal my little boy. And all of a sudden he starts talking to you about a business opportunity or how to win this person for Jesus or, or whatever. And that's the exciting thing about prayer. You get in there, you never know what he wants to talk about. We always want to listen to what we want to talk about. Some of prayer is just shutting up and listening, though. And see what he wants to talk about. He never more expected an angel named Gabriel to show up and talk to him. Then he, but of course, it motivated him to go back to prayer again. And he'd come back and pray again. And Gabriel say, whew, sorry, man, I was hung up for 28 days. This demon called the Prince of Persia held me up. But from the day your prayers were, were mentioned, they were heard. And I was sent for them. Shows you also something about angels. They're sent for our prayers. They are ministering. They are servant, diakonos spirits, servant spirits. And they minister to us. That'll make you pray more just to send those angels to do stuff. If Gabriel said, I was sent for your prayers, O beloved of God, but a man in the heavens named Prince of Persia, a demon, held me up. Then he goes on to say, when I leave here, the Prince of Babylon will come after you. There's all these princes. God not only said their punishment was over, but that he had a bright and glorious future for them. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ was coming. So let's look at this timeline of 490 years. We, we understand this so far. Daniel's 70 weeks can really be called Daniel's 70 sets of seven. And it's 490 years. And we have to compensate. We have to account for how come none of this has come to pass after 490 years. Look at verse 25. Know therefore and understand. So we need to know and understand this. That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. So you're talking about threescore and two weeks is 69. All right. Excuse me, 68. Plus one week before that, seven weeks and three score. So you're dealing with 69 weeks there. 62 plus seven is 69. But Daniel's prophecy is 70 weeks. You follow me? So from the going forth of the commandment until Messiah the Prince, that's Jesus, till he comes will be 69 weeks or 69 times seven. 483. 483 years from the time the commandment is given to rebuild Jerusalem. This was a very encouraging thing for Daniel because the city's in ruins. But this is a prophecy that says there will be a commandment given that the city will be rebuilt. That had to give him some encouragement as a national patriot. There will go a commandment. And once that commandment goes forth, 483 years from that day, Messiah the Prince will come in. But that leaves us seven years missing. Unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks 
and three score and two weeks. Now he breaks it up because there's going to be two different sets of time there. But overall, it's 69 weeks or 483 years. You follow so far? Okay. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Now he's prophesying about Nehemiah. What did Nehemiah do? He built the streets and he built the, the wall. And did he have an easy time doing it? No, he had troublous times. He had Sanbalt, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arabians, all those dirt bags. In this verse are given two sets of time. Both sets are part of the 70 weeks. The first is seven weeks, or as previously stated, seven sets of seven, or 49 years. The second period of time is 62 weeks, or 434 years. All right? From the time the command to rebuild Jerusalem is given until its completion was to be 49 years. This commandment concerns the restoration of the city and its wall. This commandment came to Nehemiah in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, or 445 B.C., Nehemiah chapter 2. From this date, 445 B.C., Daniel's 69th week ends precisely on Palm Sunday, 32 A.D. That's cool. Chasing out the moons because the Jewish calendar works on 360 days based on the cycles of the moon. The commandment came in the second month, Nisan, of Artaxerxes. When Nehemiah came in and said, can I go? He said, go and have what you need. And it was a new moon. And so through lunar studies and through astronomy, you can pinpoint exactly. And you add 483 years from the time of his commandment. Artaxerxes' reign of power is precisely known in history in stone. Jesus Christ walks in Palm Sunday 483 years later as the Prince of Israel. And they crucify him the same week. And Messiah is cut off. Pretty cool, huh? This is why they were looking for him. This is why they were celebrating And then the devil moved against it, just like God wanted to. Corinthians tells us that uh, had they known what they were doing, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. From the time of the completion of Jerusalem until the crucifixion of the Messiah was to be 434 years. The same week he rode into Jerusalem as their prince and king, they crucified him. Daniel 9.26 says, And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. So 434 years after the completion of Jerusalem. That is also a date set in stone because they, they reconsecrated the city, rededicated it. But not for himself. We know he died, but not for himself. It wasn't his sin that killed him. It was our sin that killed him. And the people of the prince that shall come, that's speaking of the Antichrist, who rules over the Gentiles, the prince of the people that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now think about that. He said the city will be rebuilt. Messiah shall come. He shall be cut off and the city shall be destroyed again. This is all happening 600 years before Christ was ever born. That's why these three verses are so key to Bible prophecy. They are so exact, so precise. But you can't interpret it as weeks because it won't fit. You interpret it as seven sets of seven years, which is uh, Hebrew permissible. You see that we're talking about 483 years. And here the angel saying, and... After the Messiah is cut off, the city shall be totally destroyed again by the prince of the people that shall come, which are the Gentiles, the prince of the people. Uh, that's, that's the Romans that were there, the people that shall come. And the end shall, uh, thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. 
One translation says, and there shall be wars until the very end. And that's what Jesus prophesied. So look at this. This verse reaffirms the proper timeline. Jesus will be cut off, crucified, 62 periods of seven, 434 years after Jerusalem was restored. The second part of this verse predicts the coming Antichrist called the prince that shall come. This verse is also a reference to the destruction of the Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans, also foretold by Jesus in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. The Antichrist will be covered more in future lessons, as will the destruction of Jerusalem. So here, 600 years before this ever happened, anything ever happened, Daniel gets an encouraging word. The city will be rebuilt. Then Messiah will come. And then the city will be destroyed. But the thing is, Messiah gets cut off. There's no week accounted for. There's a missing week, that last week. That's what they call Daniel's 70th week. Because no mention is made of it here. Not in this prophecy to Daniel. We only have 69 weeks hanging. But the, the prophecy starts off, 70 weeks are appointed unto thy people and unto thy holy city. But he's only spoken of 69 weeks so far, and that 69th week ended with the Messiah being cut off. That is called Daniel's 70th week or Daniel's seven years. So we say here we're missing a week. Daniel 9.25 speaks of two sets of time. Seven weeks and 62 weeks. Added together, we get only 69 weeks. This missing week is what is called Daniel's 70th week. This 70th week has not been fulfilled yet. In fact, it has not even yet happened. It's possible for prophecy to be fulfilled but not be completed. Uh, Matthew 8 says, And he healed the sick and cast out devils, and thus it was fulfilled as was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself bore infirmities and took our sickness. Jesus Christ fulfilled that prophecy in Matthew 8, but he continued to heal many, many, many more people. So this Daniel's 70th week, it's not even happened once yet, much less been fulfilled or completed. So there are some scriptures like Acts 2 says this, with that spoken by the prophet Joel, out of my spirit shall I pour out upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. That was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. It's still being fulfilled today. So we distinguish that to say nothing in Daniel's 70th week has even happened yet. But that seven year period happens to be what we call the tribulation. That last week appointed unto the Jewish people because the prophecy says there are 70 weeks appointed unto thy people, Daniel. Who's his people? The Jews. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon Jerusalem. The last week or seven years is the tribulation. We are not Jews. Therefore, we have no partaking of the 70th week. Hallelujah. Because it's going to be hell. Literally, it's not just the devil going crazy. It's God opening up bowls of wrath and trumpets of destruction and seals that shake the earth. We're not appointed under wrath. We won't be there. That last week is appointed unto the Jews, not us. And so that's what we call the tribulation. And there's, it's broken into two halves. We'll cover that in the future weeks with other classes. You have the first three and a half years, which is the tribulation. Then you have the last two and a half called the great tribulation. We'll cover that, uh, but not today. This has not even happened yet. In essence, Daniel's 70 weeks can be referred to as Jewish time. And this is what you're going to hear say a lot. Because this is a giant timetable, it's a common expression among Bible prophecy teachers to talk about church time or Gentile time and Jewish time. As it is, when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, Jewish time stopped. Jesus said, it's finished. It stopped. And the church was inserted. 
And so there's what among theologians they call the gap theory. That between the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection and his second coming, uh, in the rapture, the church has been inserted. And that's why it's called the age of mystery, because not even Daniel could see it. Not even Daniel could figure it out. Even Daniel's prophecy does not even mention the church once. But the angel mysteriously leaves off the 70th week. So there's something happening between the 69th week and the 70th week. We are currently running on church time. Currently, the church is how God moves in the earth. Before the church age, God moved through the nation of Israel. Israel has been put on hold and the church has been activated. At the rapture, the church will be taken out of the earth and the Lord will reactivate Jewish time and Daniel's last week of time will play out. See, the thing is, the Jews rejected their Savior. So according to Romans, God cut them off and we have been grafted in. But in the last days, they will have opportunity to be regrafted in. Now, the thing is, in the church age, if you're a Jew and you get born again, you're not a Jew anymore. You're born again. But this Daniel's 70th week is unique in that he will go back to dealing with the Jews as Jews and not as born-again Christians because they'll get to have their Messiah and it'll be a different kind of thing than what's going on now. I'm glad I'm not going to be there for that. I haven't mastered this yet. One guy told me one time, he said, I think we're going in the tribulation. We're going to live through the tribulation. I said, why? He said, because think about all the signs and wonders and the power you can walk in. I said, you're an idiot. (laughs) Jesus told me I'll cast out devils. Jesus told me I'll lay hands on the sick. I said, you can go through hell if you want to, but what are you kidding, man? You don't even do a good job right now. You're not going to make it. (laughs) Uh, We can have all the power and none of the persecution right now. So Dr. Barclay says, hey, if you want to believe you're going to go through the tribulation, go. He said, I'll give you 10 minutes. You can't even show up to church on time now. (laughs) Much less when Antichrist is running the show. You're not going to make it. So you best just get after it now. Go in the rapture and let God do what he wants to among Jews and everything. So that is Daniel's 70th week. Does that make sense? Is that easily understandable? If you can understand 70 weeks, the rest of this thing unfolds beautifully and it's very easy. Next, the next two lessons, we'll talk about the mystery of the church. Why nobody saw it. We'll look at all the scriptures in the New Testament, point out how it was a mystery. The angels couldn't see it. The prophets couldn't see it. Jesus only hinted at it. And yet here we are, this huge thing called the church. The most powerful force of people ever to be born in the earth with God in us. Nobody else has ever known that but the church. So it'll be real encouraging. We'll go on to talk about the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist that worketh now. We're going to talk about the signs of the times and the end of the age and all the signs and wonders we're seeing now, earthquakes, diversities. I spent many days researching all the loss of life that everything Matthew 24 says happens. Pestilence, wars, famines. I have estimated in the last 2,000 years all the life that has been lost due to those things. The numbers are staggering. Then we talk about Daniel's prophecy that people will travel and come and go and knowledge will abound. And I've got some statistics on that to show you how much this has been fulfilled. Did you know that they estimate that scientists produce, I think, 2,000 pages of new data every day or every hour, every hour? Scientists are producing 2,000 pages of research and new information every hour. That's knowledge abounding. And now, as we know, you can get on your Google on your phone and ask it any question and it'll pull you up a million pages that answer you. That's knowledge abounding. And I think they also said every day 30 or 40 million Americans fly. That's people going to and fro. That's a lot of, that's a lot of going to and fro. I don't know if we can get any crazier than that. So we have a lot of cool things to cover. 
Uh, we're kind of, that's the hardest lesson, I think, as far as wrapping your mind around it. If you have questions, write it down on your curriculum, bring it back. We'll try to compile it and we'll have a question and answer session in the next couple weeks. I am not an expert on this. If I don't know, I'll give you a book to read and you can go figure it out. And if you push me, I may deal with your sin publicly because <laughs> I am good at that. Bible prophecy, that's not my strength. Dealing with your sin, I'm pretty good at that. So I love you guys. Uh, we have about uh, 15 minutes for the next service.